Well, I'm so happy you're here. My name is Aaron. If you don't know me, I'm a lead pastor and I get to preach today. This is actually a fairly big Sunday. We have baptisms. We're going to have ordination. You get the whole thing. Uh, it's pretty good. So uh, we, we love that you're here today. Uh, this is a very uh, special day uh, and t- on top of the fact that we have baptisms and we have ordination and other things. It is also uh, St. Patrick's Day. It's just happy St. Patrick's Day to you. That's a very good. I'm glad to have you here. And do you know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day? It's because there was this guy when he was a young man, not much older than some of those we saw baptized, was taken from his home by force, even though he was a young believer, and taken over to this little island where it was surrounded. It had these horrible serpents that were vicious and deadly were on it. It was an island filled with with pagans and dark beliefs. It was an island where he was taken in captivity as a slave. And he escaped. And he goes back home and he, he joins the, the, the priesthood. He joins the, 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 to be able to serve others. And, and God put in this man's heart that bless those who persecuted you. As in my kingdom of God can even be in that dark place. And sent him back to Ireland. And because of Patrick, that slave freedom was proclaimed to the entire land. The serpents of death were expelled, one of the miracles of St. Patrick. But I think it's not lost in God the irony that he would take a slave, an outsider, to be the one who would bring and proclaim my ancestors from worshiping rocks and trees and, and dead things. We see in St. Patrick that the kingdom advances, and we saw it again today. Today's in the word that we get to see as we uh, walk through Acts, the message even today that we find in God's word is that his kingdom still is advancing. The message of hope. I'm so excited about this. We've been going through the, the book of Acts. Now, some of you are guests today. I know you're here for the baptism and other stuff like that, and I'm so happy that you're here. You're not going to get lost. But I would encourage you, read Acts It's going to make a whole lot more sense if you read Acts from chapter 1 up through chapter 11 after we're done with this. So that way, read chapter 12 because that's where we're at. Because we've been going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. This is the second part of it. We broke it up a little bit. This portion, we started at chapter 10, and it really saw how the kingdom of God marches on. And I did that for two reasons. One, because it's March, and I thought it was clever, right? But, but also, second, is that March means that it moves ahead. And we see how the kingdom of God, from chapter 10 through chapter 14, how the kingdom of God advances from just the Jewish world all the way into the ends of the world. It is phenomenal. Overcoming all kinds of obstacles. This is a most incredible passage or part of Scripture. And so we'll be talking about that today. Now, I'll tell you that God's word is timeless, isn't it? It speaks to us where we are. All right, and so part of this, what you read today, one of the questions I want to ask is, have you ever felt helpless, hopeless, outnumbered, outgunned? <laughs> yeah, God has an answer to that. You see, we're not powerless, and we'll see today in God's word exactly why that is, why we do not have to be afraid. But first... We're going to do our Bible memory verse every week. We have a memory verse, but this for this series, because it's long, this is one for the entire series, and it is the Great Commission, right? Every Christian needs to know this is what Jesus' command for us was. This is our marching orders from our master, and Jesus said this in Matthew twenty eighteen through 20. He said, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a powerful thing. Now, to catch us up uh, from where we've started, Acts chapter 10, we see the gospel expand the kingdom. We saw the kingdom of God actually expand from just being Jewish to also including Gentiles, where Peter has an amazing vision that he says that he can be able to accept those who the law would normally not. And God has now shown that there's a new covenant. And so he goes and he baptizes Cornelius, a Jewish uh, or a, a Gentile commander of the army. It was amazing. And God showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up. And it was, it was an amazing thing. And the kingdom of God, the gates were thrown open wide. It was an amazing thing to include now we can go to all nations. In chapter 11, we saw how that and the kingdom of God united. You see, when you have new people that are different than you and God works in ways that are not expected, it's easy for us as people to become tribalistic and say, I'm going to only be with the people that are like me, right? So the kingdom of God at that particular time, you had a group of Christians that were in Jerusalem, they're mostly Jewish, and you had a group of Christians that were in Antioch that were a lot, a lot of them are Gentile. And it would be very easy at that time in history for those two groups of people to say, we're going to have our own denomination. Thank you very much. We're not going to work together. But instead... We saw that the kingdom of God united. They came together by the gospel. That, that Jerusalem went and they encouraged the church in Antioch. And Antioch went and actually supported financially the church in Jerusalem. And there was a mutual coming together on the kingdom. Saying that we have a new identity. Identity not based upon gender or race or socioeconomic background or anything else. Our new identity is in Christ. What an amazing thing. Now, when the church unifies and comes together, today we see now how the kingdom grows. In fact, in today's passage, we're going, to be inv- we're going to be introduced to four important powers. One against us, but three with us. And why the kingdom of God expands. So, as you're in there, let me just kind of do an overview. Just because we're not going to read the whole thing, but I encourage you to come back and read it. But just an overview of what happens. This is a crazy chapter in the book of Acts. It starts out with this. You have Peter... And, uh, and uh, you have uh, uh, James, our two apostles. They were the leads of the church, the leader of the church. And this is a year after you have the Holy Spirit shows up. A year has basically passed. And, and at that anniversary date, you have this guy who his name, uh, he's Herod, and not Herod the Great, but his grandson. He's not a real good dude anyhow. This is a smarmy politician. And he wants to make a, a statement, now the year has passed on this anniversary of the death of Christ, he wants to show the Jewish people that he can be counted on so he can get their support. So what does he do? He takes Peter and James, who were the head of the church, and he arrests them, and he kills James with the sword. Kills him. Cold blood. And after that, he also took Peter, and he put him in prison, and he put him in prison to make sure he couldn't escape. Uh, he chains him up in the inner portion of the prison, and he has four sets of guards. Each of those sets has four guards each. That's 16 guards guarding Peter to make sure he's not going to escape. And then he's going to hold him there until Passover, until the, the anniversary of Jesus' death, and then he's going to bring him out for a mock trial and have him executed in front of the whole nation. That's what he's going to do. That's how it begins. But that's luckily not how it ends. Because the people of God, then, we find, they, as we continue on, is they, they start to pray. They don't know what to do. Uh, their leadership seems to now being, they're, they're now arrested. It seems dead, but doomed. They say one of the great leaders of the church has been, already been killed. Peter, the other one, is in prison. They can't escape or anything like that. It seems hopeless. So they get together, they hide in secret, and they start praying. And God does an amazing thing. God shows up in the prison cell. 
right? We, we find that these... Uh, that is, uh, Peter's sitting there, and he's got these guards on him. He's chained, and all of a sudden, all his chains fall off. And he thinks, well, this is a strange dream. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, hey, Peter, come this way. And Peter's like, all right, I like this dream. I'm just going to follow this angel. And he walks out of the prison. And as soon as he gets out of the prison, the angel phew, disappears. Doesn't tell him where to go, just disappears. And all of a sudden, Peter's like, that wasn't a dream, right? And he all of a sudden dawns him, God saved him from certain death in a mighty prison. And Peter's like, what? And he knows exactly where to go because he knows where the Christians are going to be because the Christians met there all the time to pray. So he goes to John Mark's house, knocks on the door. And the servant gal, who is, uh, of course, the, she's going to be the last one. She, she was like, uh, I got to go answer the door, right? Everybody else is praying. And you're praying in fear because you know that the authorities are out to get you. So it was a high-risk job. She goes to the door. Who is it? It's Peter. No, who is it? It's Peter. And I'm like, what? Opens the door. It's again says, hey, guess who's at the door? And they're like, are you going to let him in? <laughs> it's like, good idea. So she goes back. Everybody's there. They open the door. They're like, Peter, you're here. They bring him in. They, they celebrate for a moment. And then they're like, you better pack right? Because it's not a safe place. I mean, God saved you from this. Let's not tempt, you know, that. So Peter then continues. He moves on, and his ministry continues elsewhere. The church realizes that God is with them. They don't need Peter. They don't need, they don't need anybody person. They need the person of, of Christ. And Peter goes on, continues to have a great ministry, and does some awesome things. But the church in Jerusalem continues to grow. Well, God's not done with the story. So that would be us being done with the story. God's not done with the story. There's some justice that has to be laid down, right? So you have this guy, uh, the guards that picked the wrong side, who would dare to hold an apostle of Christ prison, prisoner. Those who would try to stand in objection and in opposition to the kingdom of God, those who would, would bow down to this smaller leader, those guards... Well, they got executed. See, how it worked was that if you were a guard and somebody escaped under your watch, then you had to pay their, you had to finish out their sentence. And Peter had a death sentence. So all 16 of them, they picked the wrong side. Justice served. But God is not done yet. Because there's that guy, the smarmy politician, right? That, that Herod, the not so great, right? He's doing his politician stuff. There's this little city up on, uh, north of, of Jerusalem called Tyre, Sidon. Actually, we get to go there. Those of us are going to be in Jerusalem here not very long ago to Israel. But he goes up there. And the reason was is that it was a port city, and Herod the Great built some nice things on that port city, made their, their, thing, their area po- prosperous. But then how people do, they forget that when you give them a handout or whatever. They kind of forget, and so there was this rebellion against Herod or whatever like that. And then they realized that Herod was going to come up there, and that he wasn't the kind of nice guy to go against. And so he shows up, and the whole town, all of the people, all the business people are there, and they are just, you know, kissing his feet. They're like, Herod, you're the best. Herod, we love you. Herod, there's never been a king like you. Herod, you're amazing. Herod, you are a god. We worship you. And Herod's thinking to himself, yeah, I guess I'm pretty much a god. I'm pretty awesome. You're right. Right? And God brings down more justice and kills Herod with worms. He just dies and gets eaten by worms. And I think, well, that's pretty funny. Herod's dead, 
Peter is free, and the gospel then continues. That's how the chapter ends, because God's teaching us amazing things about what he, how he works. And so the first thing that we want to see, the four powers that we have, is the first power that we're introduced to is the power of God's enemy. The power of God's enemy is real. He's not kidding around. It's bad. Power of God's enemy, verses 1 through 4, it says, It was about this time that Herod, uh, the king Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that uh, this was met with approval amongst the Jews, he proceeded to see Peter also. And this happened um, during the festival of unleavened bread. After releasing him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guards by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial over Passover. That's another part of the story. This part of the story really introduces that the enemy has real power. Right? The enemy is at work. This is a real war, and it's not just in the spirit somehow. It actually affects real flesh and blood too. Right? The enemy has tools and has weapons. And we're introduced to the power of the enemy, and there are three tools, three weapons that the enemy is, is levels at Christians and has through the ages and does so with lethal efficiency. And the first one is persecution. Persecution. The enemy will come after Christians because of their faith. Not in spite of their faith, because of their faith. The enemy will come against Christians. In fact, today in the world, was it nine? Eleven. Eleven Christians are killed every single day because of their faith. Eleven. Let me just let that sit with you for a minute. There is violence being done to our brothers and sisters in, the, in, in all over the world because they dare think differently. Because they dare to say, I have a renewed mind and a renewed soul and I have a different way. I'm going to have a God who actually loves me and I'm supposed to love you that I have been forgiven, therefore I will forgive you, that my God has freed me from a broken moral compass and I'm going to live a better way. Because of that, because they dare stand against the God of this world, the devil, they're executed, killed, violently, ruthlessly. It has been going on since the beginning of the faith. And when there's no sign of it slowing, but really, before we get on too further, We don't have to get all frightened about that, right? We're in a war, right? There there are going to be casualties. That's part of it. We don't have to be afraid. What is it that this world can take from you that God doesn't give back to you in greater measure? What if he takes your body? The enemy comes and, and takes your body. They kill you. You get a brand new body. In fact, it's like a Ferrari when right now you're driving a Volkswagen, Right? I'm going to take away eternity. Thank you very much. You're going to take away my freedom right here? I'm free in the soul. You can't take that away. And beyond that, in the kingdom, I'm free forever. You're going to take away my money? Oh, well, I don't get to take that with me anyhow. None of us do. But I have wealth that is beyond the reach of this world by far. No thief, no destruction, no flood. Nothing's going to take that from me. You're going to take away your friends? I'm sorry, but I'm surrounded by a new family, an amazing family of faith. Going to take away your fame? God himself danced over you the day your name was read as the one who came to life. You are famous. I'll tell you this. The enemy cannot take anything from us that God has not already given to us in greater measure. We don't have to be afraid of persecution. But from this temporary perspective, it looks, looks scary, doesn't it? And that's why the enemy uses it. He persecutes us. Listen, Jesus said, do not be surprised when you're persecuted. In fact, he promised us that if we follow him, we will face persecution. Expect it. 
not just people being nasty to us, but sometimes violence. And he doesn't say that this is how we're supposed to work back. This is the enemy's tools, not ours. The persecution, the enemy uses it, still it's us today. The enemy doesn't just use persecution, but he also uses intimidation. Isn't that what we see here? That the, why, the, why would Herod kill these two leaders of the church? Not just to kill those two, but to silence the rest of the church. Let this be a warning to you of the power of the world. Don't you talk about your kingdom. Don't you talk about your grace. Don't you talk about your God and his whole different way of being. You stay silent or this will happen to you as well. Intimidation. And sometimes they just use intimidation and say, well, if you start talking about Christ or start living that way, then we're going we're gonna to isolate you. We're going to treat you like a pariah. If I actually live as though as one who follows Jesus, if I'm not afraid of what he has to say, then people aren't going to like me. They're going to they're stop doing business with me because I'm a Christian. And that happens. They use intimidation. And we see it happening all the time. Better live this way, according to the world's way, or else. Intimidation, that's the way the world works. The enemy also has temptation. That's the third weapon. We also see it worked here, but this is a little more subtle. The enemy can't kill you, and he can't cause you to be fearful and shut you up. He'll tempt you. He'll say, listen, this is the broad, wide path after all. It's much easier. Come on over here and believe that, that we're going to have, like he can give us what our heart desires, only that it never fulfills us, and we get off track, right? And we stop actually working for the kingdom. We work for comforts and temporary things. We believe this lie, I deserve it. No, you don't deserve anything, neither do I. I deserve death. That's, what I, that's why Jesus took that for me. But the enemy will say, oh, you deserve it. You deserve happiness. I don't see that written anywhere in Scripture. I think this. I don't even deserve a Savior, but I have one. But he'll tempt us. But he'll also tempt us to despair. They'll tempt you to believe that the enemy's out there, the world's too big, it's already won, the battle's already lost, why even try? And I think that's a temptation that we find here that the, the Christians in Jerusalem really would be facing, isn't it? That's why they're huddled in a dark you know, house, praying in the middle of the night. Persecution, intimidation, temptation. That's how the enemy works. Those are his three main tools. Once you know how he attacks, you can defeat him. Now let's talk about how, the tools that God's given us. First thing we have is the power of God's saints. We see that come in the power of verse 5 through 19. And this is when the saints come together and they start praying. Man, it says, it says so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. You see that in verse 5? That's what they were doing. They weren't settling down. They weren't saying, oh, we're, not, we're lost this. They got together and said, what can we do? What is in our ability? What's in our artillery? That's what they did. They came together. They prayed. Now, when I was a young Christian, I thought prayer was stupid. I thought, man, what a weenie thing to do, right? Even an old lady can pray, like abdicating. I want to go out there and punch those Romans in the nose. And yet, prayer is more powerful than punching old people in the nose, isn't it? Very powerful. You see, in the military, there's this, uh, and I don't know tons about the military being one that I haven't had to serve, right? But I'm so grateful for those who did and have. But I know that there is a, a position there. It's called a forward observer. They drop this person in with a, radi- with a, like a radio. That's their weapon. I'm sure they give them like a knife and a pistol or something too because they're in their army. Right? But they drop them in and binoculars and a map. And their job is to go and to find where the enemy is. Where is their headquarters? Where is where they're at? 
Now, I'll tell you, that one soldier, you give him like a machine gun, yeah, he could do a little bit of damage. But with that radio, he could do a ton of damage. Because what he does is he doesn't do violence himself. He calls it in and says, hey, headquarters, I'd like to order out. And they pretty much clean the plate. That's the way it works. Those guys are dangerous. You understand this world, God's his army. He has sent out millions, billions of forward observers. We see darkness right where it's at. Darkness, and we can call in a strike of grace. Now, the great thing about God's bombs is they don't destroy, is that they heal. When God shows up, lives come back together. It is an amazing thing how he works. God allows us and gives us the privilege and the ability to call in a strike from him. That's the first thing that we have in Christians. We cannot be lazy on this. Do not think that you yourself are strong enough to go toe-to-toe with the enemy and just do all kinds of violence on your own. You might make a difference, but you're not going to overwhelm him. You start praying, you let God come up and show up, you wait to see what happens. Entire people groups come to faith. People are freed from temptation. People are freed from addiction. People, I mean, we've seen marriages just re- like restored that would seem so broken. I've seen people themselves that were just wrapped in all kinds of guilt and shame and separation from God. And prayer is the thing that just changed them in their heart when no person could. Prayer is power. And it is just one tool in our, in our, in our belt. The second one we find here, is, the church did this, didn't they? Why is it Peter was set free? They prayed. They said, God, we can't get them out. You told us we can't use violence. Plus, it wouldn't work much anyhow. We don't know how, but we're asking for mercy. And God showed up. He's like, I can do this. And so he sends in a special forces team of the angels, and they set uh, Peter free. No thing for God. I think it's pretty awesome. Second thing that we have, the second tool that we have is this, is faith. We have to trust, right? That, that's an important one. Uh, we see that it's a shield that puts out the fiery arrows of the enemy, right? It's a powerful, it's an it's a amazing tool. We have to trust that God is actually real and that he's working. Right? When we don't believe that God is actually loves us, when we don't trust him, I mean, we all have doubts. But if we don't say, beyond my doubts, I know what's real. I know my God is real. I know he's powerful and he's working. If we, if we don't have that, then our prayers are going to be weak for starters, and we're not going to have any courage. But faith is this. It says, I know my Savior. I know he lives. I know I have been saved. And I know this world is his. I know he wrote the end of the book. And I know that today is part of that. I know that my God has even today in his hand. I know that my God is bigger than this enemy. I know that my God has not abandoned me in the midst of this. Faith. Faith has got to be that ironclad commitment. I'm not going to move from this rock. I'm not going to move from this rock. And no one's going to take me off of it. I stand on the rock of Christ and my faith is immovable. The enemy cannot, cannot do anything to you. The kingdom is yours. Faith. The early church, when they prayed for Peter, they could have tucked tail and run, couldn't they? They saw James killed. They saw Peter arrested. It looked like the the enemy, the dark forces were, were too big, right? They could have tucked tail and run. But they believed God was doing something, and so instead they risked their own life, their own safety and everything, and they showed up into a room together. They said, let's pray. Faith. The third tool that we have is obedience. And the enemy has done everything he can to tell us it's a bad tool because it's so darn powerful. You remember that, that verse that we all memorized? I hope so because we memorized it. 
supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Boom, done, and they were not done yet. It says, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Why would God do that? God just liked rules. Part of the, being in the Christian faith is we understand my moral compass is broken. All of us. So we start. What I think is right isn't always right. In fact, sometimes what I think is right is actually really, really wrong. Think about most arguments in marriage, right? Most of the time you think you're in the right. Sometimes you're not, but you thought you were. We go to war out of what we think is right and wrong. And we don't just do that in homes. We do that all over the place. When I become a Christian, I start with the fact that my compass has been broken. I got a new compass. I got a new way to live. I got a new master, a new way of being. His kingdom is not like my kingdom. The kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of Aaron would be. Praise God. So obedience is this, say, I'm going to live according to that kingdom. Not perfectly. God forgives you, yes. But it's his way, his rules. It's learn to follow him. The most powerful thing is when you start following God, trusting that he actually loves you, he knows what he's talking about. When he says, my morals may not be the same as these worlds, but my morals actually work. My ethics do something. The way that I tell you to live actually brings life into this world. When you start applying that, life comes into this world. It's awesome stuff. Obedience. The power of God's saints is no small thing. We have prayer, we have faith, we have obedience, but we also have more. We have this, the power of God's justice. This is beyond us. God's justice shows up in this, and I'm so glad it does. It just brings a smile to my face. Do you like movies where the bad guy dies? Yeah, and normally, like the really bad guy dies in a really, really bad way. You know, it's like most of the, the average bad guys, they just get shot or whatever. But like the really bad guy, he gets like something really nasty happens to him, and they're just like, yes, justice. It's in our soul. We want it, but we have perverted justice. But God's justice shows up, doesn't it? Look at this. God's justice is three things. First, hereafter, it will be real too. But it's also now. God's at work. Right? Uh, when, when those guards were guarding Peter, and they chose the wrong side, God's justice, you asked them. It was very real for them. They felt it. How about Herod? He's not like, oh, this was a mind game. No, as he was dying, being eaten by worms, he would say, yeah, this justice seems to be very real. God's justice is not to be trifled with. It is absolutely real. And I think most people in this world do not fear God near enough. He is wonderful and he is good, but he is not safe. He is dangerous in a very good way, like a lion. We don't toy with him. We don't, it says in scripture, don't test God, don't put him to the test. It's like if you have a big brother, you don't just like keep picking him in the eye, right? All the time. He's going to punch you eventually. Justice will be served. God is a just God, and sometimes he brings upon his, his justice on this world. It is real. And when it comes, it is undeniable. This world bears scars from a flood because the world didn't want to follow God. In a couple of months, we're going to be over in Israel, and while we're at the Dead Sea, we're going to look across on these white patches on the ground where we saw cities got torched by, by fire itself, and their, their remains still are there. You do not mess with God's justice. He is real. Now, the other thing about God's justice, the thing is, is that Aaron's justice is not righteous. Aaron's justice is retributive. Aaron's justice is, is uh, petty. If you poke me in the eye, I'm going to poke you in two eyes because the time and the trouble, right? Now we're even. That's how my justice works. 
That's why God said, I I don't have the ability. God didn't say, go into this world and punish all the unbelievers. God said, listen, justice is mine. Trust me. He says, you love people, you forgive them because you've been forgiven. You trust me with justice. I'll tell you, you trust God with justice, and you will see it fall. And you don't want to be in the way. Trust God with justice. It is always right. Look at how God brought justice to, to the guards. All of the guards to a man who was there to bring Peter to death, every one of them died. No collateral damage. Exact. You have Herod, who thinks that he could be God himself. God brings him up on a pedestal only to shame him, to bring him down and low. God said, here's a man who says he's a God, he's not even a worm, he's worm food. God's justice was righteous. If the people of God, if the church said, we're going to, have, we're going to assassinate their leader, Herod, even if they did, there would only be war, wouldn't there? But instead... There wasn't war. The unbelievers, all of a sudden, Herod dies, and the rest of the people were like, whoa, let's not pick on these Christians. God's justice is righteous. That's why it's his. The third thing is it's always right on time. God's justice is not a minute too slow or a minute too fast. Right? God was waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, I think he would say, well, what about James? I think James would say his justice was a little slow. No, James got a brand new body. If anything, he got out early, right? He got the early retirement package. He's fine. The thing is, we have to say that God's justice, if, if we see people who stand in opposition to God with their big bull horns and doing all the horrible things and, they, and they, they yell against Him, we don't have to shut them up. We pray. We pray for them. We ask God to do His work. We recognize that they are only there because God is allowing them to be there. And He's going to use their wickedness against them. Or He's going to deliver them from Him. In either case, it's up to Him. God's justice is something that is an amazing power, and we have to rely on it. When we don't, we take matters into our own hands and we do stupid things. We either get angry and hate other people or we get depressed. Know that God's justice is there. Third thing that we have is the power of the God's gospel. The gospel is an amazing thing. This is all about the gospel, wasn't it? Peter, James, all of them, they were they're praying, all that kind of stuff. It was to shut down the gospel. Well, here's some things that we find about the gospel. The gospel persists. Tell Peter, it wouldn't matter. The gospel is bigger than them. The gospel is this. It's about Jesus, not us. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as we follow him, as we obey him, he transforms us from the inside out. We become a blessing in the world. That's good news. You're not going to stop that by killing people. They've tried. Herod tried, failed. What happened? Gospel continued to grow. Rome tried, failed. In fact, Rome even bent a knee to it. In Ireland, those people that were on that island as they tried to take slaves tried to stop the gospel and they failed. The gospel persists. It will not stop. In fact, there is a prophecy in, in, in our Great Commission that we will go to all nations. And we're almost there. So do not be afraid. The second one is this, is the gospel overcomes. Whatever opposition faces us, God's gospel will, will continue to grow. You know about China? China has all these things where they are persecuting Christians, like crazy persecuting Christians. You know right now, today in China, there are more Christians than there are Americans? That's crazy. The gospel overcomes. The third thing is the gospel expands. The gospel will not be contained and confined. In Jerusalem, they try to shut it down, and what happened? Peter now gets to go to a new place, and all the power that Peter had and all the authority now is a new home, and now we have another expansion of the kingdom. The kingdom will always continue to grow. It grows nationally, internationally, but also personally. 
There are people in our lives that will try to, that will try to intimidate us, persecute us, tempt us to be quiet and silent, but I'll tell you what, you pray for them, you love them, you bless them, you be kind to those that are around you, and I'll tell you what, the kingdom of God will be at work, and you will see the kingdom of God expand, and that's what we pray for. So how do we put this to practice? Well, there's a couple, five things. First one is this, don't fear God's enemy, do not fear him. That's his weapon. He's strong, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not play footsie with him, he's bad. Don't be afraid of him. He's got, he's got some powers. He can persecute you, right? He can intimidate you, right? He can tempt you, but he can't kill you. He can just slow us down for a while, but don't be afraid of the enemy. Know how he fights. Stand up to him. That's what it says in Scripture. Let God fight. Stand and fight against him. How do we do that? Well, fight with the power of the, of the saints. Wield it. You are saved by God's grace. Saved means something. He can't take you. You've got weapons and armor. You be faithful. You start praying. You start asking God to bring down some amazing things. You stop giving up on those who you love. You start saying no to temptation and yes to God, and you see how he advances his kingdom. Do it. We also have this, is that we also want to rely on the power of God's justice, not our own. It is human to want to be able to be, when people on Facebook or online say nasty things about us or our Lord, don't you just want to smack them? I do, right? I go, right? And I'll rally and rage against all the things and I'll see stuff that's passed in our legislature and sometimes it breaks my heart and it makes me so angry. But I'll tell you what my God said, forgive those people and pray for them. That's what he told me to do. Never violence. We do violence against the enemy. That's what we do. We will overcome the darkness with light. That's how we will do. We will rely then on God's justice. He will not allow those who spit in his face and refuse to repent to go away unscathed. Trust it. It is real. It is always righteous. And it is perfectly on time. And now what we have here is that we need to rest in the power of the gospel. Rest in it. God didn't say, hey, guys, go to the ends of the world, preach my gospel. He said, I'm with you. There's power in this gospel. They're not fighting against us. They're not fighting even against our ideas. They're fighting against God himself, and God is freeing those that even were once his enemies. So trust it. Be bold. Be excited. The world that is out there, they are waiting for freedom, and they just don't know. And we get to love those that are here. We get to be the St. Patrick's of Estes. We get to be those who declared peace and life and truth to those that we live around. And demonstrate that in our faith, in our prayers, in our obedience to Christ. God is at work. God is at work. So work with him. And let's see what he does. How do you apply this? You know, following Jesus is a series of steps. It's not a giant leap. It's a, it's a series, it's a path, it's what discipleship's all about. I'm going to challenge you to take some small steps. Small steps. Today, this week. Follow after Jesus so you can see this alive in your life. So if you have your connection card, if you wouldn't mind, pull it out. On the back side, I have some things I'm going to challenge you to do. The first one is I'm going to ask you to memorize the Great Commission. God's not joking. You have how many years in this world? He says, do this. So do it. You're going to give an account to it. Do it. Go make disciples of all nations. Bring them to faith. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them how to obey everything Christ commanded. See how God does that. Work with God. Memorize it so that way you will not become confused and forget why we're here. Second thing, maybe you want to read Acts 12. If you love a good justice story, there it is. 
10 minutes of your time, but well spent. God still works this way. God's justice is not a toy. It is real. If you want to read how it works, how the kingdom of God persists, how the powers of this world are overcome by the powers of the gospel, read it. And how about this? Maybe you want to pray for the persecuted. 11 a day. 11 Christians, they die for their faith. How many more thousands suffer because of it? We are not alone. God has given us each other, and there is power in prayer. Does this story tell us that? We can get together. God can even free you from max security. God is powerful. So pray. Wield that power and pray for those that are suffering right now. Pray for their boldness. Pray for their mercy that God will free them from it. Pray. It's an amazing thing. Maybe what we want to do is, maybe you need to start wielding the power of prayer and of faith and of obedience. Maybe there's one of those three right now that you know is the next step for you. And this is how you know it's the next step. It's one step out of your comfort zone. Right, that's how we go on a hike. We're always comfortable where we're standing, but we want to go one more step. It takes a little bit of work. Another step. Take, just take that next step. Not ten steps. Whatever those is one step in this. Let me know you made these commitments because I will be praying for you. That's what I do. I will be supporting you. If you have another commitment you need to make, write that down. If there's something on the other side you can make, let me know. We'll follow up with you. And we'll help you as you grow in faith. Here in a minute, we're going to take our offering. This is what's going to happen. It's a special Sunday. So we're going to take our offering. I would like you to take these connection cards along with your tithes, your gifts. Put it in the offering basket as it's passed, right? Just drop it in there. Make this a commitment to yourself or God. Remember that our offerings are acts of worship, putting God in the center. So make sure that your offering is an act of worship, saying, God, I'm putting you in the center of my life. I'm loving you even with my things. So let's pray for our offering and our commitments. Let's do that. Father God, you are powerful, you are good, and you are mighty. You're also present. And Lord, we love you. You saved us from sin. Lord, you, that's, I think it's the most amazing thing that you, who are perfect and righteous, didn't just destroy us. You know our hearts, and yet you let us live. I love, I love the truth of that. So, Lord, use us. You told us to be baptized, to be saved, and then to learn how to obey you. Help us to be a church that does that. Let us follow after Christ's heart. Father, I pray for the, for the saints in this Estes Valley, for us and for all of the churches here in the Estes Valley. Would you rise up your believers here? Help us to be your of the gospel. Father, I pray against the darkness that has held this valley for far too long. For those that live in addiction and shame and brokenness, Father, those that live in despair and abuse, Father, I pray that a new day, a declaration of freedom will come for them. So use us. Help us to love the people whom we've wrongly seen as our enemy. Help us to bless those who have persecuted us. Give us words to pray for them. Break down the strongholds that hold them into dark ways of living. And Father, would you bring your life here to Estes? Father, empower us. We've made commitments today. Help us to walk in those. Use them, Father, for for your kingdom and for your glory. Father, we pray not just for for those, but also for the, the tithes, the offerings, the gifts that we give back to you as a sign of our worship, putting you in the center of our life. God, we're not owned by our things, but you own us. And you care for us. So Father, please, take these gifts. Build your kingdom through them, a kingdom that will outlast us. Father, a a kingdom that is truly worthy of your name. And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.